You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, we're, like I said, in our fourth week of our series, Christian or Not, and our last week of this series. And what we've been doing during this series, if you're new or you haven't been here, is we've been taking a look at different doctrines, different belief systems, and different religions that are assumed to be Christian in the world and really asking ourselves, are these in fact Christian? The first two weeks, we took a look at Mormonism and we took a look at Jehovah Witnesses. And where we landed was uh, those, in fact, do not fall inside the ballpark of orthodoxy. I'll explain that here in a minute. And uh, they are not Christian. Last week, we looked at some doctrines that we don't agree with, prosperity gospel, American gospel, the me-centered gospel, and we said, man, there's some Christians out there that lean towards these doctrines, but it doesn't mean that they're not Christians. Today, what we're going to talk about are some unusual denominations, some things that other denominations, other maybe Christians do that seem very weird to us, but doesn't necessarily mean they fall outside of orthodoxy and Christianity. Every single week, I've told you guys a story, and this week is no different, except I want to make a confession to you guys. Uh, When I was uh, young and in my teenage years, before I became a Christian, I thought that Christians were some of the weirdest people on the planet. Just honestly, okay, y'all? Well, then I became a Christian, and then I became a pastor, And I knew Christians were some of the weirdest people on the planet, y'all. We are a peculiar people, and we're freaky-deaky weird, okay, y'all? Like, we are unusual people, okay? In fact, I want you to think about this for a minute. Look around at about two to five people that are surrounding you right now. Just look around you. Look at some people. Make some awkward eye contact with them, right? If you're joining us online, you can't participate in this. Man, Weird, right? Weird? Now, if you think none of them are weird, you're the weird one. Okay, y'all, they're all going, yeah, weird right here. You know what I'm saying? Weird. These are people that agree with you on most things that you just looked around at. The people surrounding you come to Revolution Church, so they prefer this style of church, probably agree with most of our doctrines. And I would say... If you really dig in, you recognize that even though we're like-minded in here, sometimes we go, man, these people are weird. Think about the people that don't come to Rev, though. Think about the people that go to a different style church, dress different, sing different, do things completely different than us, and think about if you think the people in here are weird, How weird do we think those people are that go to different style churches? See, the reality is the church has always been full of weird, unusual, different people because the church is a very diverse group of people where we're not all supposed to be a carbon copy. The church has always had sinfulness in it which inevitably inevitably leads to conflict among God's people. And in the church, God's people have always struggled to get along. 
you hear people say, we need to get back to the first century church. They had perfect unity. What are you talking about, man? They had all kinds of craziness. Read the book of Corinthians that Paul wrote to the church in the city of Corinth. Those are some of the most carnal people. Probably people we'd look at today and go, man, are they even Christians? But Paul is writing to Christians that are so carnal. In the book of Galatians, Paul writes to the church in the city of Galatia, you foolish Galatians, you are devouring each other with your mouths. Last year we did a series called Finding Joy, and it was all about the book of Philippians and the church in Philippi. Paul even writes in this book that's all about joy. He encourages them, be of one mind in the Lord, specifically speaking to two old ladies that were fussing about stupid stuff. The church has always had these issues. Well, today we're going to go to Romans chapter 14, and we're going to go through the whole chapter. And in Romans 14... We're going to see Paul talk about what one theologian called the favorite sport of Christians, and that is trying to change one another and leading to fighting and fussing as a result of trying to change one another. There's an author named Karen Maines who wrote a short story. She's kind of a poet, but she writes a story about a wedding that's taking place, and the groom is up front. He's decked out. He's got his tux on, got his hair cut fresh, and, and the church house is filled with people that can't wait to see this couple get married. The pastor's up front, ready to go. Uh, the organist gets ready and hits. Here comes the bride, and then this happens. In she stumbles. Something terrible has happened. One leg is twisted. She limps pronouncedly. The wedding garment is tattered and muddy. Great rents in the dress leave her scarcely modest. Black bruises can be seen welting her bare arms. The bride's nose is bloody. An eye is swollen, yellow and purple in its discoloration. Patches of hair look as if they have actually been pulled from her scalp. Fumbling over the keys, the organist begins again. And after his shocked pause... The attendants cast down their eyes. The congregation mourns silently. Surely the bridegroom deserved better than this. That handsome prince who has kept himself faithful to his love and should find consummation with the most beautiful of women. Not this. His bride, the church, had been fighting again. This is what we're going to talk about today. The bride that beats itself up. In fighting. Let's go to Romans chapter 14 and let's look at four points of grace in the church. Grace. That's what we're going to talk about. The book of Romans is all about grace. Let's look at those. Let's start in verse 1 and I'm just going to stop along the way. And we're going to talk about some uh, interesting Christians and interesting denominations that we look at and say, man, they're kind of unusual. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Y'all with me? Say, I am. Paul starts this chapter by saying, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over, and here's the key words right here. These two words really set the tone for Romans chapter 14. Disputable matters. Point number one, grace doesn't mean agreement on everything. Let me say that again. Grace does not mean agreement on everything. Being a part of a church does not mean agreement on everything. Heck, even when you're married, how many of y'all know you don't agree on everything? Amen, y'all? Paul differentiates two groups of people in this first verse. Strong people in faith 
and weak people in faith. But the thing you need to keep in mind is he refers to both of them as being believers and Christians. The great theologian Augustine has a great quote that you've heard me say many times, and it'd be good for us to remember it. He says, in essentials, we must have unity. In non-essentials, we have liberty. In all things, we have charity. Essentials are those points of orthodoxy that we've talked about every single week. If you haven't been here, we've got it for the screen. If you guys can put all those points up, I'm not going to spend time today detailing every single one. Snap a picture of this if you haven't been here or haven't got one the first three weeks because this is the last week. But there's these six essential pillars or foundational beliefs that we call orthodoxy that the church has taught and stood on since the church's inception. And it's recognized that anyone that teaches outside these six orthodoxy points typically falls outside the realm of Christianity. So in essentials, we must have unity, but in non-essentials, Augustine says we must have liberty. What are non-essentials? Non-essentials are what Paul refers to as disputable matters. Maybe you've heard us refer to them as this, secondary issues in the church. Or sometimes we refer to them as things that are a matter of conscience. I've given you a definition here of what this is in more detail. What Paul's referring to when he says disputable matters are matters which there is no clear scriptural teaching and are morally neutral. You may see someone doing one of these things and think that's very unwise, but you cannot scripturally say it's sinful. Let's continue in verse 2. This really sets the tone for the whole chapter. Verse 2 says, One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now remember, we just went through almost almost all of the book of Acts. We've got a few chapters left we'll go back to one day. Uh, But what we established was the first people that got saved in the early church were all Jews that followed the Old Testament laws. Well, then at some point, you had a huge influx of what's known as Gentiles who don't follow the Old Testament laws. So among many other things that there was division on between the Jews and the Gentiles that had a hard time getting along, Paul, you're going to see, deals with two things. He deals with days and diet. He deals with the Jews that are following the dietary laws of the Old Testament, and they weren't eating bacon and shrimp and things like that. Can you imagine that, y'all? Man. Bacon and shrimp. They don't eat those things. And if you don't eat those things, that's fine, okay? And we'll see here in a minute. But we're praying for you. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, And then people that went to church on Saturday, basically. They viewed the Sabbath day as the day that they should go to church. These were huge, huge things that were huge points of tension in the early church. Verse 3, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Boy, what a great passage for us to look at in the month of October. As some of us are going to be looking at people and going, how could they celebrate Halloween? How could they do that? Extend that into other things outside of diet and days, right? How could they have a glass of wine with their dinner? How could they go see that movie? How could they listen to that music? How could they smoke that cigar? Conversely, 
on the other side of this, Paul's making very clear, it's not just those people. It's also the people that would look and say, how could they be so legalistic that they don't celebrate Halloween? How could they be so legalistic that they think it's wrong to have a glass of wine with dinner? How could they be so legalistic that they wouldn't go see Top Gun Maverick? That's an awesome movie. Amen, y'all. How could they be so legalistic that they couldn't see the beauty in this music? How could they not see that smoking a cigar brings glory to God? Amen, y'all. Like All the Christians judge cigar smoking until Tennessee beats Alabama. Amen, y'all. Then it's like, well, this honors God now. You know what I mean? We, more prayers went up yesterday than will go up this morning. Amen, y'all. So... Charles Spurgeon is one of the most famous preachers that has ever lived. And he's known very much for his sermons and his writings. But one thing that he's also known for is the fact that Pastor Spurgeon would smoke around 10 to 12 cigars a day. He loved cigars. Loved them. A guy in his church one time had a baby and somebody got him a box of cigars and he came running to Charles Spurgeon and said, said, what am I supposed to do with these cigars? Isn't it sinful? And Charles Spurgeon was reported to have said, give them to me and I will smoke them for the glory of God. (laughs) Dwight L. Moody went to visit and preach for Charles Spurgeon once and when he got to his house, Spurgeon answered the door with a glass of brandy in one hand and a cigar in the other. And Dwight L. Moody was completely offended and said, how can you be a preacher and a man of God and do those things? Charles Spurgeon was said to have walked up to Moody poked his pot belly and said, the same way you can allow that to happen, man of God. So many stories about cigars and Charles Spurgeon. He loved them, talked about them a lot. He's kind of an icon in the Christian cigar market, which is a real thing, especially with Reformed people. There's a story where Charles Spurgeon was walking down the road one day in the city he lived in, and he saw a tobacco shop, and in the window there was a sign that said, we sell the tobacco that Spurgeon smokes. And he became greatly convicted. It's reported that he said, I only want to be known for preaching the gospel. At that moment, he stopped smoking cigars in public. See, Spurgeon let his liberty be controlled by love so as to be known for one thing, so as not to offend his brothers and sisters. Continues in verse 4, and Paul says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Number two, grace doesn't judge on disputable matters. Now let me give some clarity, okay? Because there is this idea that people will pull verses like this out of context and say, you know, Christians shouldn't judge each other for anything. And they view the scriptures like these as a license to sin, but that's not what Paul's saying. He's not talking about moral issues that are biblically extremely clear uh, when someone has a stronghold in their life and they need accountability or they need a warning or something like that. Clearly throughout the Old Testament, uh, or New Testament, the New Testament church holds each other accountable and judges each other. Let me give you one example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13, there was a guy in the church in Corinth who was sleeping with his dad's wife. You thought your family was dysfunctional. You know what I'm saying? Paul says, kick that man out of the church. 
So clearly, he's not talking about moral issues. He's talking about morally neutral issues. This is not a license to sin, but liberty with non-essentials that Paul is speaking of. In verse 4, when it says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To put it in our vernacular, closer to our vernacular, it's similar to Paul saying, who are you to review the performance of someone else's employee? How crazy would it be for you to go into a business you don't own, you don't know anything about, and say, I'm going to review how you did when you don't know what their boss has told them to do, what they've been trained to do, and what he wants them to be in the business. Who are you to review the performance of someone else's employee? We're to treat each other with understanding, compassion, and tenderness, Paul says. Verse 5, it continues. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. There's a major tension, and specifically here, he's not just speaking about Sabbath, he's talking about holidays. Because the Jewish Christians that follow the Old Testament law uh, celebrated all these different holidays, like Passover, for instance, where they glorified God and worshiped God. Well, to Gentiles, every holiday they had ever been a part of, guess what it was about? Idolatry and sinfulness. So again, here's this tension. The Gentiles are looking at them going, how could you celebrate holidays when all they're about is sinfulness and they're idolatrous? Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Let me give you some clear teaching right now about different denominations and what Paul is trying to say in Romans 14, and then we'll continue on with our points. Paul is essentially saying that there is a difference between someone thinking an action saves them and someone glorifying and worshiping God through an action. In other words, if I could put it in theological terms, Paul is saying that if someone thinks that something they do justifies them and leads to justification. In other words, you're saved. We talked about the difference between righteousness and holiness. Uh, Something you do leads to righteousness, and righteousness is what Jesus covers us with when we get saved. We're righteous because of him, and that's why we're going to heaven. We're justified in going to heaven because of Jesus. So if someone thinks that there is something that they must do in order to be justified and be saved... It's a false gospel. It's a false gospel. Because clearly we are saved by grace through faith. But if someone holds something in such high regard that they believe it is a part of the sanctification process that they are going through, and it is a part of their holiness, not righteousness, but their holiness, like if they don't eat meat, if they go to church on Saturday, that that's the way that they worship God, that they glorify God, Paul's like, great, no big deal. That's totally fine. Church of Christ, Christ, if you look in their doctrine, um, I believe that their doctrine is very clear that they believe in baptismal regeneration and that they believe you must be baptized in order to be saved. That teaches Jesus plus something else, belief in Jesus plus something else that I believe is a false gospel. Galatians chapter 1, let them be anathema. You know what I mean? You're double cursed if you believe that something you do saves you because we're saved by grace through faith. 
And so that's a false gospel. We believe that we have to get baptized in order to be saved. Well, most Church of Christ people that I know, if you really press them on it, they will say, well, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. It's just that we hold baptism in such high regard that we believe it is essential to be one of the first things that you do in order to glorify and honor God. And it is our good and proper worship of God. That's totally fine. Is this making sense to everybody? Say amen. I hope so. I know I shouldn't say that, but like, does that make sense? Uh, Seventh-day Adventist. Some Seventh-day Adventists believe that in order to be saved, you must follow the dietary laws of the Old Testament. Don't eat bacon. Don't eat shrimp. You've got to go to church on Saturday or you're not really saved. That's a false gospel, y'all. Doesn't matter what day of the week you go to church. Doesn't matter what you eat. More on that here in just a second. But most Seventh-day Adventists, most Seventh-day Adventists, and if you read their doctrine, this is what it points to, believes that that's the way they worship God and they glorify God and they honor God is through following dietary laws and going to church on Saturday. Totally fine. Weird to us. Weird, right? Can you imagine life without bacon and shrimp? Come on, y'all. Like, come on. <clears throat> Pentecostals, charismatic people. Some are reported to believe that in order to be saved, you have to speak in tongues. You have to. Like, you have to speak in tongues to be saved. Well, all of my Pentecostal friends and charismatic friends, they don't believe that. Because that's a false gospel. They believe that speaking in tongues is part of the sanctification process. And it is, not to get into the doctrine, but it's a second baptism that happens. It means that you're getting closer to God. Totally fine. We don't look at them and go, well, they're not Christians, and they're heretics, and yada. No. No, they're just, they're just different. They're just, they're just different. They're They're weird. A lot of people ask me in this series about Catholics. Now, this could change in a month because the Catholics are really having a war right now in what they believe about transgenderism and all those things, get, get, trying to get woke, and people aren't having it. And so this could change. But as of right now, when it comes to those six points of orthodoxy, if you read their doctrine, technically, they fall inside those points of orthodoxy. And there are some Catholics, yes, that believe you have to go to confession and you have to take the Eucharist, communion, in order to be saved. That's a false gospel, y'all. Okay? But there are some Catholics that I believe love Jesus and they think that taking communion, going to confession, is the way that they glorify God and they honor God. That is totally fine. It's totally fine. So we've got to be careful in judging about all of these Secondary issues. My dad's church, Union Fork Baptist Church in Saudi Daisy, Tennessee. Everybody there, they wear a suit and tie. Now, are there people there <clears throat> that think in order to be saved, you have to wear a suit and tie? Maybe. But all the ones that I know that go to my dad's church, you know what wearing a suit and tie is to them? They were taught and they believe that you put your best before God and you wear your best on Sunday morning and it's how they glorify God, it's how they worship God, it's how they honor God. Totally and completely fine. So the next time you find yourself 
looking at another Christian and getting upset about a secondary issue or somebody comes to you and says, you're eating bacon, you're going to hell. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, just calm down and take a deep breath, Paul says. There's weak Christians, there's strong Christians. Just take a deep breath. Do what the great theologian Carl Winslow from the show Family Matters says. Y'all know Steve Urkel? Steve Urkel, okay? Uh, when Urkel would make him mad, he would say, three, two, one, one, two, three, what the heck is bothering me? You come in contact with those Christians. Just think, three, two, one, do it with me. Three, two, one, one, two, three, what the heck is bothering me? Just take a deep breath and get over it because it's not important. Verse 7, y'all still with me? Say, I am. Paul continues, for none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Number three, grace puts stepping stones in other believers' ways, not stumbling blocks. A stepping stone means you're helping them go upward. A stumbling block means that you are completely tripping them up. So maybe... God's given you the liberty to have a glass of wine with your dinner. But he hasn't given another believer that liberty. Well, don't put a stumbling block in their way and drink it in front of them. Maybe God's giving you the liberty to listen to some form of secular music, but maybe to another Christian, that really holds them back and hurts their walk with God. So you don't push it on them. Maybe there's another believer that's a vegetarian. I remember Brooke has an uncle that's Seventh-day Adventist. He follows the dietary laws. And I can remember, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, something like that. We were at a Christmas gathering, and, uh, and uh, he, he doesn't eat any pork. And so we didn't eat any pork. And he asked, he said, do y'all follow the Old Covenant laws too? And we said, no, we're doing it because you do. And he was blown away. He was like, you're doing this for me? You're not eating bacon or whatever, whatever it was because of me? You don't cause him to stumble. You're cool with Halloween, but someone else, it holds them back. By the way, uh, you're going to see in just a minute how applicable this is because you keep your opinions on these secondary issues between you and God. You know what that means? Shut up on Facebook about it. Because number one, nobody cares about your opinions. And number two, you could be causing another Christian to stumble because you're being very unwise. Keep your keep your stuff between you you know two or three years ago talking about my dad's church they asked me to come preach for them so i went to preach for my dad's church guess what i wore when i went to preach for my dad's church not this a suit and tie guess what version of the bible i preached out of at my dad's church see here at revolution i have the liberty to say things and do things that i would not have the liberty to do in another setting, if that makes sense. I wouldn't tell goofy jokes and things like that that might offend people in another setting. And 
it's taken me a long time like to figure this out because we, we tend to look at people and say they're legalistic. Maybe so. We're supposed to spur each other on in the faith, not hold each other back. If I could give you another example, think of it this way. How many of y'all have had kids? Raise your hand if you've had kids. Okay. Remember when you had your child? The behavior of everyone in the house changed, and so did the house itself. Remember that? You brought that baby home, and it started to grow up, and, and you did things like you didn't leave the scissors out on the counter anymore because even though you had the knowledge and knew how to use the scissors, you knew they didn't have the knowledge and could hurt themselves with the scissors. Everything's baby-proof. There's, there's baby-proof doors where they can't get in and drink the cleaner, right? Because you've had a baby. Paul's saying, think of it that way. You've had a child, and your behavior has to change based off of someone new coming into the family and being a part of the family. You know, you, you got a kid that's going to bed, and they're like, there's a monster in the closet, Daddy. Well, a good dad doesn't go, shut up and go to bed, right? Like, nobody's going to, well, maybe some dads do that, but, like, they're not a good dad, right? A good dad goes into the closet, checks, son, there's no monster, I already looked, here's a night light so you'll be able to see and you'll be able to sleep good. You have the knowledge that there's no monster in there, but they don't, so you have grace for them. There's no monster in bacon, Amen? Praise God for bacon. There's no monster in it. But if someone else thinks there is, okay, here's your not light. I'll check the closet for you. Does this make sense to everybody? I hope this is helping. I think this is like so applicational. Let's continue in verse 14. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. It's a matter of conscience. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. The Living Translation says, don't undo the work of God for a chunk of meat. It's not worth it. Don't do undo the work of God. All, fo all food is clean, but it is, it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you, whatever you believe about these things, keep them between yourself and God. Man, 2,000 years later, the Bible preaches to us. Who knew social media was coming? God knew, you know. Quit posting about it. Nobody needs to know all your opinions on these things. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Last point, grace balances liberty and knowledge with love. Paul makes it a point here. He's like, look, eating or not eating something is not going to make you closer to God. We're aware of that. Paul's like, it could give you heartburn, you know. It could make you fat. Uh, 
few weeks ago, I preached for the youth because uh, Pastor Brandon's wife had a baby. And uh, I told him a story about how in high school, uh, I worked at a pizza buffet called Mr. Gaddy's. And uh, I could eat there for free, and whoever was with me could eat for half price. And so me and two of my friends one day went to Mr. Gaddy's, think like CeCe's Pizza Buffet, to see who could eat the most pizza. And in high school, I weighed about 320. I was an offensive lineman, and so I could, I could put down a lot of food. Still can today, as long as it's not raisins. Uh, but um, I remember when we sat down and ate that day, I think I won. I'm pretty sure I won. And I ate almost 40 pieces of pizza, y'all, to the glory of God. Amen, y'all? Praise the Lord. It was awesome, man. My buddy ate so much, he puked in the parking lot when we left. It was one of the best days ever. You know what I'm saying? It was just great. If I had been puking, it would have been funny because he was. It was funny. Y'all know what I mean? And so, uh, so, so it's not about what you eat. That's not what it's about. It's about when it comes to the church, we ought to be willing to give up our rights for the sake of unity in the church, for the sake of loving each other. Your liberty should be controlled by your love for other believers. Last example I'll tell you. Brooke's grandmother, her name was Geneva Summers, and she was from Sunbright, Tennessee. That's where she lived. And uh, country, country lady. Y'all know what I'm saying? I'm talking country, okay? You think Crossville's country? This is like New York City to her, okay, y'all? Like Crossville is. And uh, number one, I'll tell you this. Uh, She was one of the strongest believers I've ever met in my life still to this day. And when I first got saved, she taught me so much about the Lord and ministered to me so much. Even though we were totally different. Totally different. Y'all know how I am, but she went to like a little bitty church in Sunbright, Tennessee of like 10 or 15 people. It was the first church I ever preached at. She was the pastor of the church, y'all. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking like, I mean, backwoods Christian, okay? Pentecostal Christian, always speaking in tongues and prophesying, had her hair in a bun, uh, blue jean skirts down to her feet. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Totally opposite of me, but what was so interesting, she since passed away. She passed away about four or five years ago. Um, But what was so interesting was we just loved each other, man. Uh, We never had a coarse word. We never judged each other on all these secondary issues, even though I know she looked at me sometimes and thought, Man, he's smoking crack. He's crazy. You know what I mean? And, and I would think sometimes, like, man, she does things a little different than I do. You know what I mean? But, but we learned from each other. We loved each other. Well, she was a cook. And I can remember the year before she passed away that we went to her house for Thanksgiving. It was just me and my wife and my two kids. And, uh, uh, you know, one of those cooks that cooked everything. Y'all know what I mean? And had her own recipes. And anybody got a grandma like that up in here? Like, yeah. Like, had her own way of doing things. And... And uh, she would say, every Thanksgiving, she would say, what kind of pie do you want? And she would make every single person their own pie. So we didn't share a pie. Everybody got their own pie. You know what I mean? Because <coughs> gluttony's not in the Bible. So uh, not in America. Not in America. Um, so uh, that's a whole other sermon for another time. But, but anyway, um, could you imagine, because I don't like pie. I I like chocolate chip cookies. I like uh, donuts. And those are my favorite desserts. So pie is not my first choice. But could you imagine 
if after she spent all that time making that pie for me, she spent all those years perfecting a recipe of something that she created, if I looked at her on Thanksgiving and said, Miss Geneva, this pie is terrible. You need to change this about the pie. Could you imagine that? Y'all know. Y'all know how grandmas are. Like, you, you know, they make food. You eat the whole plate because if you don't, it's going to greatly offend them. It is a slap in the face to them. What Paul's saying is, God has spent all this time creating this recipe and creating you and creating all these other believers. And he's made them in his image. And when you offend and when you don't think about your brother and when you don't think of others more of Uh, more than you think of yourself it's like you're looking at God and you're slapping him in the face and you're saying you got this recipe all jacked up God it's all wrong you may not like all the ingredients but what Paul's saying is you honor him you respect him clean your plate off so to speak in the name of unity for the church let your liberty be controlled by love Make sense to everybody? Say amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for today. I thank you for uh, the diversity in our church. And God, I thank you for the diversity of the church. We are very aware here at Revolution Church, while we're so blessed, you, you send seven to 800 people every single week to worship together. And that is incredible, God. But there's another 60,000 or so in Cumberland County. And we know that we're not going to be the cup of tea for all those people. They may connect more through a traditional service or through hymns or through a preacher that wears a suit and tie. So, God, first, we just thank you for the diversity in the body. I pray for each one of us individually, God, that that we would consider other believers And those that are, as as you said in the New Testament, inside the family of faith, we would love them extra and not cause our brothers and sisters to stumble. I pray for those in here that are struggling with thinking that something they do saves them. And God, I pray that today would be the moment where there's a switch that goes off and And they no longer try to justify themselves before you or earn their way to heaven. But a switch goes off to where now they glorify you with the things that they do. And they just want to make you pleased with the things they do, not saved by the things they do. We love you. You are awesome. In Jesus' name, all God's people said... If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.